You're listening to a podcast from Victory. Jesus is the Redeemer who came to give his life for the ransom of man and the exaltation of his glory. Learn more about this truth in week four of our series, Rediscovering Christmas. Alright, and so uh, we are concluding our series on Rediscovering Christmas. Last week, uh, JJ uh, basically eloquently gave us a great word on the Gospel of John. And so for those of you who are uh, joining us for the first time, we, are, uh, we have been uh, going through this series for the past uh, four week, four week, fourth week today. And uh, we are going through the eyes or the lenses or the perspective of the different uh, New Testament writers. We wanted to focus on the gospel writers. However, Mark didn't really have a gospel narrative. So week one, we talked about Christmas according to Matthew. And Matthew's audience uh, was basically the Jews. And he uh, presented Christmas from the point of view of Jesus being king and Messiah. This is where we see his name, Emmanuel, and Jesus, and, uh, and Christ, uh, meaning Messiah. Uh, second week, we talked about Christmas uh, according to the book of Luke, according to the lens of the gospel writer, Luke being a doctor. He talked about the upside-down kingdom. He didn't just talk about Christmas being for an exclusive group of people, for the Jews, but basically Christmas, Jesus Christ came as king for all. Everybody say, for all. So it's, he's known to be an upside-down king, uh, a king of the upside-down kingdom. He reaches out to the marginalized, to the poor, to the, tr- to the downtrodden, to the orphans, the widows. And these are not just only for the influentials, but even for all of us who are Gentiles. Last week, as I said, uh, J- uh, JJ talked about Christmas according to the book of John, to the, from the lens of John. And he was basically talking about, of course, John uh, has presented Christ as one who is God-man. He, is, he started off by talking about in the beginning was the word, a very familiar passage among the, the Jews uh, in the Torah, in the New Testament, oh, sorry, in the Old Testament. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, it also started with in the beginning, uh, the word. He was presenting that the word is God and the word was God. And then he jumped off in verse 13, presenting. This particular word is not just a God who lives in the heavenlies, but he came down from heaven to earth, and this God, this word became flesh, and he didn't just just become flesh, but he dwelt among us. He made his dwelling among us. He, He lived among us. In another translation, it says, he tabernacled with us. He chose to stay with us. He didn't just come to visit. He was not a guest. He lived. Among his people. And today we're going to be looking at the Christmas according to Paul. Now I know that Paul is probably one that you will not think about. How can he write Christmas? He was not even there when Jesus was born. He was not even there when Jesus was working miracles. He was not even a Christian when Jesus was walking on the face of the planet. He had an encounter with God when Jesus already has resurrected and has gone to heaven. And he was a persecutor of Christians. How can he have a message of Christmas? uh, The Apostle Paul is an interesting character. We're going to study on his uh, personality in a little while. So if you have your Bibles, could you kindly turn to uh, the book of Galatians? This is one of Paul's epistles or letters uh, to the church in Galatia. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 I'd like to invite everybody to stand with me as we read God's word 
this morning. Let's read from verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, everybody say fullness of time. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. That's what Christmas is all about. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son or a child. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's bow our heads and pray. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God, for our time this morning. And even as we are celebrating the final Sunday of Advent, I thank you, Lord God, that you will bless the preaching of your word. Encourage your people, God, as we look into the future with hope and faith, knowing full well that you are in control of all things. Thank you, Lord God, for giving us, uh, Lord God, this, this spiritual family. Thank you for this time together, Lord God. And may your Holy Spirit bless the preaching of your word. I pray that you'd speak to each and every one of us, Lord God. And may we hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. All right, so just very quickly, uh, who was Paul? Who was the Apostle Paul? Besides Peter... The most prominent leader in the early church was Paul. Okay? Of course, we know that Peter is you know, said to be the first pope. No, just kidding. Okay? Uh, he was the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. When Jesus uh, uh, resurrected and he, when he went to heaven, he basically was giving the leadership role to Peter and the apostles. Okay? So he was not really like the head you know, uh, top guy. But, you know, he was leading the charge. He was the one who preached the inaugural sermon uh, right there in the book of Acts. But aside from Peter, the apostle Paul was very influential in that particular church. He was born in the Greek city of Tarsus. He was also known as the Saul, a Saul of Tarsus. Later on, uh, he's known as Paul. Now, there are two different perspectives why he changed his name from Saul to Paul. One perspective is they said that when he was converted to Christianity, his old name was Saul. Now he will be known as the Apostle Paul. But another perspective, according to the author N.T. Wright, he's always been known as Paul all along. That part of his name among the Greeks is they know him as Paul. And so he's interchanging this uh, you know, uh, usage of his name, but yet he was more popular or prominent and he was known more as the Apostle Paul. We know that he didn't have the benefit of walking with the Lord. He didn't have the experience of walking face-to-face with the incarnate Christ. He didn't have the benefit of sitting at his feet and listening to, this, to his lecture, unlike John and Matthew and Mark and Judas and all, Bartholomew and Nathaniel and all the different apostles. The apostle Paul didn't have that benefit. And yet he was a very zealous guy 
for the law. He was one who's known to be uh, you know, a lawyer. He, he memorized the Torah. He, he sat down with one of the greatest rabbis in the Old Testament named Gamaliel. And so he is, if, if there is king of kings, lord of lords, he is the lawyer of lawyers. Something like that, okay? So we have several lawyers in this particular congregation. Of the 27 books of the New Testament, 13 are actually attributed to Paul. He was the one who personally wrote uh, those. He was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. He became an impassioned member of the Pharisees. One of the things that we know about Paul is he started off by being a persecutor of the church. He was seen, uh, his presence was first seen in the stoning of the first Christian martyr named Stephen. How many of you remember Stephen? He was the first Christian martyr. He was not willing to recant on his faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul was one of those who approved of his stoning to death. I mean, how can God choose such a guy to be a bearer of good news and to be apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, he's got a bad track record. He was a murderer. He was somebody who's willing to drag Christians to court. And the reason why he was on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 is because he was on his way to wreak havoc in the church in that particular city. He was ready. Until we know that Jesus appeared on that road and the rest was history. That is a pivotal moment in the life of Paul. He has a deep love. You know, but our question really is, is he a radical zealot that is on his, you know, that has a mission just to kill Christians just because he has nothing to do? You know, one of the studies of the life of the Apostle Paul is he is not a bad guy. He is one of those who is so zealous for the law of the Lord. And when he found out that there is a new sect in town led by Jesus Christ, known as the way, he said, this is not right. We need to stand up for what we Jews, the chosen people of God, knew all along. We want, he wanted to protect the name of Yahweh. He was one who was willing to sacrifice his life in order for, for the people of God to make things right. He was imagining himself maybe like Elijah in the Old Testament, you know, preaching, you know, repentance. Why will you go for another idol? We have the one true and living God. That's the Apostle Paul. But yet we know that there's another guy in uh, the Old Testament by the name of Phinehas or Phinehas was also very zealous for God. And you can find this in Numbers chapter 25. This is one guy, he's one of the, he's a member of the Levitical tribe. He's a priest. When he found out, when God was purging the camp, and he found out that one fellow Israelite was committing an immorality with a foreign wife, you know what he did? He took a spear. And he thrusted that spear. You know, in barbecue. He made those two you know, he, he actually killed the Israelite together with that foreign woman while they were in the act of immorality because that was an abomination before the Lord. And yet God honored Phinehas before the assembly of the people. 
He killed because he was zealous for the house of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul had this point of view that if there's anyone who will destroy the name of Yahweh, particularly this new guy in town, Jesus Christ, and his followers, who, as, who were not even proven, they have no track record, I will do everything I can to make things right. And how many of you know that it was because of the mercy and the grace of God that God appeared to him on the road to Damascus and called him, Paul, why do you persecute me? Jesus has already ascended to heaven and yet he showed himself again to the apostle Paul just so that this guy can be called out of his, not insanity, but his zealousness. He is sincere or he was sincere rather but how many of you know that the sincerity is not enough? He was sincerely wrong. We can be so sincere with our belief. We can be so sincere with, you know, the things that we, you know, uh, fight for. But sometimes, life is not about sincerity. It's about being in the right path. And God himself showed up before the apostle Paul and he called him. And the rest was history. Of course, you know that he became blind. And then there was a, a disciple named Ananias, not the one who died because of money, who was married to Sapphira. Namatay dahil Sapphira. It's a different Ananias. A disciple whom God spoke to and ministered and prayed for the Apostle Paul. And I believe that just like any one of us, God can use us to disciple the next Apostle Paul. Amen. And that's about discipleship. It's not about who's you know, in the hierarchy or in the ladder of leadership. God can use any disciple. Paul was a persecutor turned into a proclaimer of the gospel. Why do we interest ourselves in the writings of the Apostle Paul? And what's the significance of this guy and talking about the Christmas story? You know, as you're minded, you know, I was really just so amazed with all the worship and the Christmas songs that we were singing this morning, and how the classic Christmas songs really talk about the personhood and the identity and the work of Christ on the cross. Amen. And one, one such particular song that comes to mind is, What Child Is This? Do you, do you know that song? Are you familiar with that song? It's amazing that this particular song, the lyrics of this selection promises to contemplate the identity of Christ, the person of Christ, and the work of Christ. Why was this child born in the first place anyway? Is Jesus really an, a holy infant? Or is he just a holiday infant? Many people have looked at Christ more of like a holiday baby. They're thankful to the, to the Lord or for Jesus being born 2,000 years ago because they get to have 13th month pay. And sometimes Christmas bonus, they got to have a vacation. They got to have some more time with their families. They got to have more, you know, break from school. They have break from their work. It became a holiday baby or a holiday, in, uh, you know, infant. But it's this child that we are celebrating during the Christmas day. If you are to rediscover what Christmas is all about, who is this Jesus that we're worshiping anyway? And I think the, you know, this particular song has summed up the personal, the identity, and the work of Christ 
which can actually be summarized also among the Apostle Paul's writing. What child is this who's laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthem sweet? I should call Uchi to sing this song. Anyway, so, while shepherds watch are keeping, this, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and she, angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. Then the next verse, why lies he is in much estate where ox and donkeys are feeding? Good Christians fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Sometimes you sing songs that we're not even aware of the lyrics of what we're singing, but we're actually singing from the pages of Scripture. And then it suddenly shifts from a baby to nails and spears. Have you ever, you know, looked at a lyric of a song and somehow this particular song talks about the real reason why Jesus came here on earth? It's not just to have holidays. It's not just so that we can have a nice noche buena. It's not just so that we can actually have exchange gifts or not that we can actually, you know, have a time with the family. But it's actually this. Nails, spears shall pierce him through the cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh the babe, the son of Mary. Christmas is really Jesus being God, coming down from heaven to earth and becoming a created being just like us. I mean, the most amazing thought that could happen is how can a creator God be a created man and he did not even lose his divinity. You know, we've studied on that last week. He's 100% God and 100% man. He was not 50-50, okay? So when he became man, he didn't, like, surrender his Godship or divinity. Like, 50% na lang akong God, okay? And now I'm gonna be 50% human. No! He's 100% God and 100% man. Look at the person beside you and check if that is 100% human. We know how it is to be human, right? We know how it is to be in need. We know how it is to have lack and plenty and pain and, and challenges and sorrows and worries. And Jesus didn't go through that so that he can learn about us. He knew about us. He was the one who made us. But he went through that so that we can know about him. If you have seen him, You've seen the Father. He is the physical manifestation of who God is as the Father God. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come, peasant, king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe the son of Mary. What is Christmas to you and me? I know that sometimes Christmas can be a difficult time for some people because this year might have been a bad year. Maybe this year might have been a reminder of the previous years. You know, as for example, as a family, every time Christmas comes along, we're reminded of the death of our son, Jerome, who died 15 years ago, December 28, 2003. 
So when Christmas rolls in, there's a bit of a sadness, there's a bit of memory. But I realize that when you talk about Christmas, it's really not about us. Christmas is for us, but Christmas is not about us. Because Christmas is all about Christ. And I'm not going to say to ignore your emotions or to ignore the grief or the sorrows. We're human. Jesus understands that. But yet, we can become hopeful for the fact that the message of Christmas is whatever it is that you're going through right now, God will take care of that. It's as simple as that. God will take care of you. Look at the person beside you and just tell that person, God will take care of you. He has your back. You know, it's... It's just very simple. And we go to the Apostle Paul's writing in Galatians chapter 1, verse, uh, verse uh, 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, he's talking about uh, somebody who's going to inherit a, uh, you know, a, a property or some inheritance. As long as he is a child, he's no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Really? How can a child who is an heir be the same as a slave? You know what's the, diff- the, what's the similarity? Both cannot enjoy their inheritance yet. The slave has no inheritance. The child, though he has an inheritance, will enjoy it in the future. They're in the future, but not yet. That's why there are guardians and managers until the date set by the father. Technically, the inheritance or the estate is, does not belong to him yet. It still belongs to the father until the appointed time. He doesn't have any authority or power over the estate. At least not legally yet. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, how many used to be a child? When we were children, how many of you still Think like a child. <laughs> Don't raise your hand. You know, we were children before. We, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. This is talking about, you know, your f- walk with the Lord. Before, when you were not yet a Christian, there is um, not an understanding of what this grace and law, the difference between the grace and the law. The law was considered... The it thing, particularly for the Jews, they would relate to God based on the law. For the Jews, relationship with God is following a set of rules. It's not just, you know, having a, an intimate connection with a person. It's about following the Ten Commandments. It's about following the Torah. We must be careful that we will base our relationship with God on such things. Now that we're Christians, how many of you know that sometimes you can still go back to the old practice? That's why the Apostle Paul was taking the time to remind the Christian Galatians not to go back to legalism because they've already experienced grace. But let's focus on verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, According to the Apostle Paul, Jesus is the child for whom all the time had waited. I mean, he finally, his coming finally has arrived. 
when the fullness of time come or came, it means that this is the fullest point wherein all the parts of history has been assembled and have occurred. Everything has culminated in this time when Jesus was born. Why did Jesus not, why was Jesus not born a, th a thousand years earlier? It was not ready. Why was he not born today? It would have been too late. But at the perfect time, at the fullness of time, 2,000 years ago, God appointed that particular time for Jesus to come and to be born. How many of you know that God's timing is always perfect? And sometimes you can actually you know, try to push for, Lord, and tagal naman, you know, you know, we can be impatient with the timing of God or, you know, we can, you know, whatever it is that we're praying for, you know, whether it's, uh, I don't know, a marriage or a child or maybe a promotion or maybe, you know, something that you're believing God for. We're going to be having a, you know, uh, our annual prayer and fasting uh, by January, January 7, 11, okay, 7 to 11, and I'm pretty sure that all of us will be writing our faith goals. But yet, how many of you know that as you write your faith goals, don't be discouraged because some of your faith goals may have been fulfilled within the year or some may have to be recycled, no, no, rewritten for the next year. And that's fine because God's timing is always perfect. History was orchestrated by the one true God. In the fullness of time, this is a time of political preparation. It was a time when there was Roman peace, Pax Romana. It was, you know, we've talked about this two weeks ago. You know, it was a time when Rome was the leading force or the most powerful empire on the planet that time. And so there was Roman peace because he practically defeated all his enemies. So he established peace after the war. There was a, it was a time of economic preparation. There was the Roman roads. There were five main highways that were the finest transport system that links Rome to the rest of the known world. And Israel being part of the uh, you know, annex to Rome, being under Rome, has been a strategic place for the gospel to flow out of that place. It was a time of cultural preparation. The Greek language was the medium of commerce and culture and philosophy. It was a time of religious preparation as well. There was a famine of the souls of men during that time. Really, when you talk about our personal lives, I believe that whatever it is we are, you and I are going through, God is just preparing us. Maybe the reason why it doesn't come in yet is because maybe you're not ready. There is always a preparation that God makes in our life. Lord, ang tagal naman ng promotion. Oh, maybe you're not ready for a big promotion. Lord, I'm praying for this particular business, you know, this particular sale or this particular girl or this particular guy. You know, maybe you're not yet ready. Maybe God's still preparing you or God's still preparing her. Huh? Nevertheless, God's timing is always perfect. And then we see here, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. It's interesting that the Son of God was sent to be with us 
and be part of humanity. What was an acceptable term during that time is he was born of a man. Born of a man is just like the, the term used in order for them to be able to establish the genealogy of a person. You know, this, you know if you look at the different genealogies of uh, the Old Testament and even Matthew's account, you know, this is the father of this, and he is the father of this, and he is the father. You know, it's, it's all about born of a man. But in, interestingly, Paul talked about Jesus being born of a woman and not born of a man. The child was born without the help of a man. But yet, he was in the womb of a woman. And it was God, the Holy Spirit, who actually helped in the process. He was not only made and formed in woman, but he was made of the woman. He took flesh. And he became somebody like us. And this is where we get the word incarnation. Or the reason why we're celebrating Christmas is because of this. Christmas is for us, but it is not about us. It is all about Christ. Three quick things. Don't worry, okay? I know the time. About Christmas. Christmas is, number one, it's about redemption. And we see that in the scriptures already. To redeem those who were under the law. We were slaves of the law before. Have you ever felt, you know, uh, not being able to measure up? You know, maybe in church sometimes, you know, we feel like we can't go to church because I haven't done much yet. Or, you know, I, I haven't read my Bible enough or I haven't done enough good. You know, some, sometimes, from time to time, we would receive text or email or message from our Facebook account asking, you know, is, is going to church open to anyone, you know? Uh, we feel that we don't deserve to go there. And we would say, you know, yes, it's, it's open for everybody. Because sometimes we feel that we, we, we don't measure up. And somehow our grading system is kind of like that. You know, we compare ourselves to somebody in our class, you know. At least I have... I'm higher than this guy. I'm 75 and he's 74. Something like that. And so there's a bit of a, a measuring up. But not the law. The law says if you stumble, at least in one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking the entire law. Really, the law does not really help us in giving salvation to us. It merely points out how sinful we are. To redeem means an act of rescuing, releasing, delivering from slavery by the payment of a price. You know, when I was a young boy, when it used to be like bottles, uh, when you buy soft drinks from the store, what you would do is you would leave a deposit. I'm not really sure if you've experienced that. Young people don't even know what I'm talking about. Now you drink sodas in a can. But it used to be like when I buy, whether it's Chocovim or Chocolite or... You know, regular Coke in bottles. When I would buy from a Sarisari store, I would leave a deposit in order for me to be able to redeem back my deposit. I have to give back that bottle. And somehow that is the picture of redemption. We were slaves of sin. We can't be 
released without somebody paying for us and we know who paid the price. Amen. Jesus came so that He can redeem us from our sins and from our bondage. That's why you don't have to feel guilty anymore once you've accepted the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus redeemed us from legalism to freedom. He gave us free. Christ has set us free. And those who have been set free are free indeed. Last week we talked about John chapter 1, verse 17, you know, just a reminder that, you know, the difference is, for the law was given through Moses, but yet grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We know that Moses was the lawgiver and that he basically helped. And the law does not save us. The law basically points us to our sinful nature. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, the law could only show us how sinful we are. But that the ministry of Jesus is different. Jesus gave us grace. He didn't just come to show us the law. He actually helped us fulfill the law. Instead of telling us what was wrong with us, Jesus gave us a way to fix what was wrong with us. And he was the one who fixed it himself. Interestingly, the difference of the ministry of Moses and Jesus, we see here two characters in this particular scripture. Moses' first miracle, as I said last week when we were reviewing, his first miracle was a miracle of judgment in the river Nile when he turned water into blood. It was a form of a judgment. He's a lawgiver, but the law many times judges and kills. But the first miracle of Christ was found in the wedding of Cana wherein he turned water into wine. And it's also interesting that this particular wine represents blood, his blood. And he's talking about this in Matthew and Mark and Luke, this blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, which is the forgiveness of sins. The first miracle that he did was about the blood. The last miracle that he did for us was on the cross still about the blood. The law came from Moses, but yet grace and peace came through Jesus Christ. Christmas is number one, about redemption. Secondly, Christmas is about what? Adoption. So that we might receive adoption as sons. You know, when they would adopt people in those days, they would not adopt babies. Now we adopt babies. Before, they would adopt adults. When the, you know, the son of the, when Roman emperors have adopted men not related to them by blood, they will give them full office and authority. In other words, if you are adopted into a family, you have the rights of a real son, as if you were born in, in that particular family, flesh and blood. That is the beauty of adoption. In adoption, the father gives full rights and privileges that belongs to his son, to those who were neither his children nor heirs by nature and birth. And guess what? Now that you and I are adopted as sons and daughters of God, we have the same rights and inheritance like Jesus Christ. Amen. We can call God Abba Father. This is the story of Christmas. The reason why we can actually have reconciliation and acceptance is because first and foremost, God accepted us. You don't have to feel an outcast during this season or any other season because Jesus came in order for you to be part of this family. Jesus redeemed us from nobody to now a somebody. Of course, 
We know John 1, 12. Yet to all who received those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of husband's will, but born of God. As believers, you and I have experienced two types of birth. One that goes through the birth canal, the natural process, and the other one is through the spiritual process, which is being born again. The moment that you get saved, the moment that you're born again, guess what? You take on a new nature and a new affiliation. You are no longer a sinner. You're no longer an outcast from the covenant. Now you and I have been adopted into the spiritual family of God. Same rights and same inheritance, just like Jesus Christ. Amen. And lastly, Christmas is about what? Salvation. Very simple message this morning. The Apostle Paul took the time to explain this. It's all about redemption. When you talk about Christmas, rediscovering Christmas is more than just enjoying the Christmas ham or the Noche Buena. Christmas message is really about redemption. Us from slavery to being free men. It's about adoption from being an outcast into part of the spiritual family. And it's all about salvation from damnation to now being able to experience eternal life and i believe this is as matthew has mentioned matthew 121 the ultimate purpose why jesus came is to bring his kingdom here on earth and to save the people from their sins and because you are sons god has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba father we're no longer outcast. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. I'd like to ask the music team to join me here on stage. Christmas redeemed us from the nation to salvation. And I want you to focus here on me for the final few minutes. If you look at the Bible, it's amazing that after the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, God had already planned on saving mankind. He looked at the need of man for redemption and salvation. It's interesting that one of in the New, in the Old Testament we see the redemptive hand of God to save mankind. And for example, you know, there are two major prophets in the Old Testament that's pretty pretty known. First prophet is Elijah. How many of you are familiar with Elijah? He's known to be the prophet of fire. He was this one who preaches on sin and he was against the idolatry of the people. He preached with power and he was against the prophets of Baal during that time. He called on fire from heaven. A powerful man of God. And God anointed him. Do you know who followed after Elijah? It's Elisha. Elisha, the Bible says, received a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. And it's interesting that though he did not compromise on the truth that, what, that was preached by Elijah, but yet he ministered differently in the nation of Israel. He healed lepers. He blessed the cursed cities. He promoted reconciliation. He fed the multitudes. 
He healed the sick. He raised up the dead. Elisha had a double portion of the anointing of Elijah. And you know what Elisha means? God saves. As an expression of God's salvation to mankind, it's not about judgment. It's about grace and forgiveness. It's about Him bringing us into that particular point of enjoying what life is all about. If you look at the dynamic duo of the Old Testament between Moses and Joshua, Moses was the lawgiver. And yet he only was able to bring the people at the edge of the River Jordan but was not able to take them into the promised land. Joshua was able to bring the people of God into the promised land. And he was the one who helped distribute the inheritance to the different tribes of Israel. You know what Joshua means? God saves. In the New Testament... We see this guy, John the Baptist, preaching a powerful message of repentance. And he preached and he said, repent because the kingdom of God is near. And he was one who would be uncompromising. He called people to baptism. He was just meant to prepare the way for one whose sandals he's not even worthy to tie. But yet we see the one who became incarnate, Jesus Christ. He came with so much compassion. He healed the sick. He spoke grace to the people. He reached out to the downtrodden. He fed the multitude. He blessed the cursed cities. He raised people from the dead. And guess what the name Jesus means? God saves. All throughout the Bible, we see this truth of the heart of God wanting to save mankind. The Old Testament promised a Savior through the prophecies. The New Testament gave them one. We are living in the New Testament, dear church. We are enjoying the grace and the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Christmas is not about us. But Christmas is for us. It is all about Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior, and our Lord. Let's all stand up right now. Thank you, Lord. One final scripture that we want to read is still written by the Apostle Paul when he was talking about the ministry of Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not call equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man incarnation being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We can celebrate Christmas because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Christmas, once again, is about God's goodness revealed through Christ. 
that He, though He was God, became man just like us. And He brought in redemption. He brought in adoption. He brought in salvation so that you and I can be moved back to Him and we can enjoy eternal life. Let's just worship the Lord for a while before. You just heard a podcast from Victory. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit our website at victory.org.ph or like our page on Facebook at facebook.com slash victoryph.